Good morning. My name's Craig. I am one of the pastors here. And every once in a while, every once in a while, I like to uh, give the punchline away up front. And then we're going to work our way toward that punchline. So I have a comedian I really like, and he does this sometimes. So just say the punchline, and then you forget about it. And he's like, here's that punchline. So we're going to try that today. And I run the risk of being confusing. All right? I totally am okay stepping in this confusing space with you. Uh, Last week, we introduced a series saying we're thinking about the Bible as ancient Hebrew meditation literature and how that can totally rock your world. And so we said we're going to be in Genesis, and we're going to be just talking about how Genesis, the biblical authors, just meditate on it. It colored their world, and it can color your world. Uh, But we're going to be in Revelation right now. This is the punchline. This is where the plane will land. See, I told you it's a little confusing. So if somebody brave uh, wants to live on the internet forever, uh, if you could just, someone could read Revelation 21.1. Revelation 21.1. Just find it, read it out loud. And here's the question that we're going to head toward, all right? What does God have against the Perchy Creek Yacht Club? What does God have against the Perchy Creek Yacht Club? All right, that's where we're going to land the plane today. And if you don't know, there's a creek very close to here called Perchy Creek, and they have a yacht club. Apparently, God has something against it, okay? What is that? So if someone found it, could you just read it real loud? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Brilliant. That's it. The sea was what? The sea was no more. No more Perchy Creek Yacht Club. You have nowhere to put your boat. What does God have against the ocean? All right? Is he, is he just overdosing on Midwest values? Like, yeah, take that coast. I ain't afraid of no coasts. We'll just get rid of you, right? Why, what is going on there? Why no sea? All right, that's where we're going to land the plane today. All right, everybody okay? That's where we're headed. All right, hopefully, if we can remember. All right, that's where we're going to touch down. We good? Some of your faces say, like, when, when, why are we in a plane? Um, all right. When God looks at you, what does he See, when God looks at you, what does he see? We, we, you and me, we wrongly believe, we wrongly believe that God only steps into clean spaces. We wrongly believe that the God of the Bible only works with people who either have their act together or are well on their way to keeping their act together. We wrongly believe that the God of the Bible only steps into clean spaces. Now, what is at risk if we keep believing this nonsense? We, you and me, me and you, both of us together, experience chaos on a whole spectrum. Some of us experience so much chaos that life is just, it's like, I'm stuck. Ken is all, when is this going to stop? This is just unbearable. This is overwhelming. Some of us experience chaos on a level where it's like, yeah, life is relentless. There's just one thing after the other. Can I just get a break? 
And some of us experience chaos on a level that's like, yeah, this is uncomfortable, but I've found my ways to cope with it. Found my ways to get along. The problem that if we believe God only steps into clean spaces is what do we do when we experience chaos? We've all learned how to navigate life without God. We've all learned through watching our environments how we can respond to the chaos that comes at us. We've all learned to do that in a way that pushes God to the fridge. I am not your mom. Yes? <laughs> I am not your mom, so please don't, I'm not trying to tell you what to say and what not to say. But there are words that some of us use when we are unhealthy. Again, for different people in this room, that's going to be different things, right? We all know when we have entered into a space where we're like, man, I should not be using these words. This is coming from a place that's unhealthy. My kids will not listen, and I just, under my breath, just say the words, right? That, that happens because we have interpreted our world and we have come up with a conclusion about that world and we just feel the chaos of it, we feel stuck, and we just oh, say those words, right? It doesn't have to be at our kids. It can be at some of the lousy drivers in Columbia, Missouri. It's just like, you're such an idiot. Did you not see that light turn green 15 seconds ago and now it's yellow and I didn't make it? You idiot. Oh man, there it is again. I thought there's anything wrong with that word, but that was coming from a really unhealthy place. Some of us may think of chaos, and we think, man, that's like addiction. That's like life spiraling out of control. I don't really have much chaos. I've got it under control. Now, wherever you fall on the spectrum of chaos, though, we all experience and interpret our, the things happening to us and we respond in ways that we saw others doing sometimes, ways that we learn. For example, sometimes that can be good and bad. Like my dad, for example, had this saying, like, if you're 15 minutes early, if you're not 15 minutes early to your appointment, you're late, all right? And I learned things from that, right? Some of it good, right? You want to have a meeting with me, I'll show up on time, right? It's great. Some of it not so good, right? Man, if I'm late, what does it say about me? Ugh, right? That's me learning about my world, navigating it, and then making decisions based on that. And that's not a high level of chaos, right? You know, except once I get older, I'm like, ah, oh, they'll wait for me, right? You know? right? But that's not a high level of chaos. But some of us learn messages from our families where it's like, man, my value is derived from my grades. So I need to do whatever it takes to keep my value high. So I will work super hard. I will cut relational corners. I might even cheat or lie. You know what happens? Chaos. What does God see when he looks at you and me. What does God see when he looks at people who experience chaos in a variety of ways, a garden variety of ways? Your answer to that question, 
will set the course for your entire life. My concern is that so many of us wrongly believe that God is Bob Ross, the late PBS artist, Bob Ross. You know, uh, there are TV writers who they talk about there are these characters that they just absolutely hate, right? And Bob Ross seems to be one of them, right? His, he was, for those of you who don't know, he was just this like super happy guy who painted and made a lot of people happy through painting, right? And it just feels like there's a story there, right? Like, man, what if he's addicted to something? What if he was like, you know, just beating up people in his life? What if he was a monster, right? There's going to be a great biopic on HBO about this doesn't seem to be the case. He seemed to be just a plain Jane, normal, boring guy, right? There, there was a documentary about, there's like a warehouse maybe somewhere in Virginia that houses all his artwork, right? And the people running his estate are like, yeah, this is probably worth like truckloads of money, Ton, oodles and oodles of money, but I don't think Bob would like it if we sold it, so we're just holding on to it. And it's like, I was like, what? What? That's crazy, Right? Bob was an artist, and maybe some of you learned how to paint from Bob. Bob is like the epitome of stepping into a clean space. He has a blank canvas, and this, this is a line he used. Let's put a happy tree here. Let's put a happy tree here. Ooh, and another happy tree here. Ooh, look at all those happy trees. God is not Bob Ross. When you believe God is like Bob Ross, that he, his, the canvas he uses to paint with is only a clean canvas, when we experience chaos, we hide. Some of us use God to hide from God. We stay busy at church, but meanwhile, under the surface, it is chaotic waters. When God looks at you, what does he see? The answer to that question will set the trajectory for the rest of your life. What does God see? We are in chaos Things are not always going as they ought to. For some of us, we're just stuck. Yeah, we may go to work, but we're just like high functioning and it's just, oh, will I ever be happy again? Chaos. Some of us, we're navigating chaos and we're tired, but we have hope. And others of us are like, yeah, there's some chaos, but I'm fine for the most part. What does God see when he looks at us? On the opening pages of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, we see how the God of Scripture feels about our chaos. We see right out of the gate that he has feelings about your chaos and my chaos, and he has an answer for it. So if you would, please turn with me to page 1 of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. It's on page 1. Didn't have to take any vitamins this week. I just had that one in the vault. Genesis chapter 1. We are going to be reading verses 1 through 3. And if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are people of chaos. The chaos of our own hearts, the chaos of our families of origin, the chaos of the, the workplace. God, what, what do you see when you look at us? Do you see chaos? Do you see problems to be solved? What do you see? Help us to have heaven's perspective this morning. Help us to see what you see. And help us to be people who see that you love making beauty out of chaos. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I believe, it is my belief, that Genesis 1 is unlike any other written text in antiquity. What's antiquity? A long time ago, all right? Genesis 1 is totally unique and different. Now, sometimes when you and I approach a text like Genesis 1... We come with questions. And I just want to say right out of the gate, some of those questions I'm not going to answer. All right? We have questions like, how old's the earth? Are these like six literal 24-hour days? Like, what about Christians and evolution? All right? Uh, you just heard from missionaries from the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's the denomination we're a part of. One of the hallmarks of that denomination is we work really hard to keep the main thing the main thing. There are people in this room who think that the Creation Museum is like God's gift to a dying world. And there are people in this room who think the Creation Museum is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And you don't know who's who. And we love each other. Isn't that amazing? Right? So some of your questions about how old is the earth, you may feel frustrated that we're not going to answer them. And I feel that. I hear you. They're, they're good questions. Please don't hear me minimizing those questions. If you can for a second, though, let's just let those questions hang out in the parking lot. Because remember, we've, we say this a lot. The Bible was not written to us, but the Bible was written for us. Yes. All right. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. That means it doesn't always answer the questions we have. It answers questions other people had. All right? And we want to be good listeners and say, well, what did the original audience, what questions did they have? When we do that, when we let our questions hang out in the parking lot, and we see, we're like, man, this chapter is unlike anything I've ever experienced because this God is unlike anyone I've ever experienced. I promise we're going to get there. And, and you can still have your questions. We can still think about that, wrestle through that. All right? But if we can just focus on, hey, what questions did the original audience have? And you might be thinking, well, I don't like their questions. They don't like your questions. All right? It goes both ways. All right? That's a silly way to look at the world. They would say the same thing about us. All right? So for a second, we're just going to let some of those questions hang out in the air. And we're going to really try to see this text is different from anything we've ever experienced because it communicates there's a God who's different from any, anyone we've ever experienced. And if we let our questions hang out, we might just meet him. So 
Genesis 1 is unlike any other piece of literature in antiquity. What do I mean by that? There's things that are introduced in Genesis 1 which we have not seen anywhere else. Anywhere else. So one of those things is 6 plus 1. So think about Genesis 1. God makes the world in six days, but there's this plus 1. Nowhere else in the ancient world that we know of were people writing like that. This is a new way, and it communicates, whoa, wait. Creation is moving towards something. It communicates these wild and radical things. The book is also beautifully composed. It's, it's a masterpiece of art, all right? The book opens with these seven words that serve as like a chapter title for Genesis chapter 1. The seven words are, Barashit bara Elohim et hashamayim wa et haaretz. Whew! Got my money's worth at seminary, okay? Barashit bara et hashamayim wa et haaretz. What does that mean? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. That's seven words in Hebrew. If you're paying, if you know anything, seven is the number of completeness and wholeness. All right, we can t- step that up a little bit further. Uh, sometimes the way people think is if you look at the middle of the number seven, you find what the heart of it's all about. And you're like, what's the middle of seven? In, in that sentence, it's God. Right, so there's this seven-word sentence that said, God made everything, and he's at the middle of that. What's that communicating? God's creation is good, it's whole. Why? Because he's good, he's whole. Right, we haven't even got verse 1 yet. That's amazing, right? But in the beginning, all right, when was that? The beginning. I don't know, right? In the beginning, God made what? The heavens and the earth, okay? When you say things like two opposites, this and that, you're saying this and that and everything in between, all right? So when God made the heavens and the earth, it's another way to say in the beginning, God made everything, it's just a chapter title. Boom. Right out of the gate. Wow. That's kind of wild. Well, think with me for a second. If that, and most Old Testament scholars agree, that is like a, a heading for Genesis chapter 1. That's a heading for chapter 1. That means that it's not the start of the story. All right? In the beginning, God made everything. The real crux of the story, though, comes next in verse 2. What does verse 2 say? Look with me at verse 2. Here's what verse 2 says. How does the story start of this God who makes everything? Now the earth was formless and void. Formless and void. In Hebrew, that rhymes. Tohu wavohu. You hear the rhyme? Tohu wavohu. Man, I'm telling you, that money really paid off all these years later, right? Tohu wavohu. That's a rhyme. And when you put those two words together, it's a way of saying the earth was chaos. In the beginning, God made everything. Now the earth that he made was chaos. Again, God is not Bob Ross with a clean canvas. He makes everything, and what he made, that earth, was formless and void. Jeremiah 4 talks about uh, Israel will be formless and void. It will be this decreative state because they've sinned. It will be a desert. It will be wasteland. It will be desolation. Not life-giving, life-taking. That's where the story starts. We can mistakenly think that God only steps into clean spaces. We did not get that from the Bible. The Bible says, hey, in the beginning, God made everything. And what he made was chaos. 
That starts to tell us a little bit about this God. He's different. And remember, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. The people it was written to knew about chaotic creation stories. Nearly all the creation stories around this time from Israel's neighbors, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, have a story of chaos happening and then some God running into that chaos with violence. Right? So there's, look, at, look with me at uh, verse 2 again, right? The earth was formless and void. The earth was chaotic. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. All right? Darkness... In an ancient Near Eastern mindset, it was a spiritual entity. It was a power. It was a being. And darkness is over the surface of the deep. All right? We've got to think about this for a second. How I read Genesis 1, and this doesn't give you any clues into my theology, right? So I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but it doesn't say anything about how I interpret Genesis chapter 1. Like, were these real six days? Were these ages? All right? I believe, as you read Genesis 1, I don't believe Genesis 1 is a poem, but I do believe it's poetic. All right? So I don't believe Genesis chapter 1 is a poem, but I do believe it's poetic. So Mrs. Keller, my seventh grade English teacher, would be very proud of me when I call it a proem. If prose and a poem had a baby, it would be Genesis chapter 1. All right? So it's not a, the whole thing's not a poem. It's a story about things that happened, and there's a lot of poetry shoved in throughout that story. Now, if you're anything like me, I did not grow up reading like Wendell Berry, like, you know, smoking a pipe by a fire with a cardigan, okay? I just didn't read a lot of poetry, okay? So it's like foreign to me, just like it's foreign to a lot of us to think poetically. But it's an invitation for us to be creative in how we approach the text. Not fast and loose. But it's encouraging our whole bodies to be engaged. Look at, this is the poem that's within this story, okay? Verse 2. I've put it, I've color-coded it so it's a little easier to see. The top line, darkness was over the surf surface of the deep. We'll call that line 1. Line 2 is the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So line 1 and line 2 say very similar things. There's something over liquid, Okay? Verse 1 is all negative. Darkness is the scary thing, right? It's going to kill you. All right, run from darkness. It's bad news bears. It's over the surface of the deep. The word for deep, there's a goddess's name who comes from that. The, go the word for deep is uh, to home. The goddess is called Tiamat. Tiamat lives in this place called the deep, and she comes out every once in a while and just wreaks havoc, all right? They, they did not, nobody in the ancient world thought the deep was good, all right? All throughout the rest of the Bible, in the Psalms, right, the deep is described as bad, right? So uh, God uses the deep to drown the Egyptians. Uh, when the psalmist is crying, like, where are you? I'm in the deeps. It's like analogous to hell. This is bad news bears. And you think about it, in this setting, like, what? that makes sense, right? In the ocean, it's like, that'll kill you if you go out in the ocean. Like, stay away. Bad news bears. Chaos. So you see, verse 1 is negative, and it's all about chaos. Darkness on the deep. Darkness, bad. Deep, hell. Not literally hell, right? But just like really bad, all right? Decreation. Line two says the same thing, but positively. Darkness is replaced by the Spirit of God, and the deep is replaced by waters. Now, this was worth getting out of bed this morning. 
It's poetry, right? So we've got to use our whole bodies to read it. We've got to think creatively. We've got to intuit our way through it, all right? Here's what I believe the biblical authors, the picture they're trying to paint with this poem, all right? So there's this, this God makes everything. It's in this chaotic, bad news bear state. God looks at his creation, and he sees darkness over the chaotic waters, all right? Tracking so far? Now, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, all right? It's a fun one, ruach, okay? Ruach can mean spirit, but it can also mean wind or breath. Now, here's what's happening. We see God's spirit or his breath, and then in verse 3, what does he do? He talks. I believe that the picture the biblical authors are trying to paint is this. God is standing over his creation, and he, he takes a deep breath. And when he does, he hasn't even done anything yet, but darkness runs and hides. And the deep is transformed into water. The deep will kill you. The waters will nourish you. He hasn't even said a word yet, and he's changing this chaos, this desolation, this life-taking thing into something that can heal us. When God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see a problem to be solved or a person to be loved? Now, you're like, man, that's really sentimental and nice. I don't think that's how the Bible should be read, though. Like, this actually happened, and it seems like you're spiritualizing the text. I hear you. I hear you. Let's just, let's address that, all right? Spiritualizing the text. It's a real thing. We don't want to be fast and loose with it. We don't want to run, hey, this means whatever we want it to mean. We're being creative. Boop, 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 right? We don't want to do that. And the biblical authors read the Bible in this same way. Remember, we're calling this series Primary Colors, right? Whoa. The primary colors, we're saying Genesis, they were the primary colors that the authors of Scripture painted and saw the rest of the story with. Psalm 119, 105. Does anybody know what it says? I mean, we're all impressed if you do. It, I learned, I learned this week it's an uh, Amy Grant song. If any, remember, baby, baby, I do, 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 do. It, She wrote this song. Does anybody know? Terry, you know it? What's it say? Oh, you know, baby, baby. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Okay. Your word is a lamp or a light to my feet or to my path. In Proverbs and in Psalms, path is a word picture for how you live. So God's word is a lamp or illuminates how we live. Why do we cuss at our kids when they're in the other room? Why do we not show up late to meetings? That's our path. That's the things that we're doing. And just like God spoke light into darkness. God speaks light into our lives and helps us see who we are and why we do what 
we do. So just like in Psalm 119, 105, the biblical author is playing with that. God said, let there be light. That light illuminates my way. Just like God in the Genesis story breathed over his creation. And the darkness runs from his spirit. God wants his spirit to chase the darkness of your life away. His presence is transformative. God has a canvas, and he doesn't just use clean canvases. He paints with chaos. You're like, but my chaos isn't churchy. I had an abortion. My chaos isn't churchy. I've struggled with addiction. My chaos isn't churchy. I hide. If you knew who I really was, y'all wouldn't like me. And when God's, that's that, all that you've just said right there, is that's the type of canvas God loves painting with. And if we don't believe that, we're always going to hide. If we don't believe God loves making beauty out of our chaos, we will never bring our chaos to him. That word for hovers, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, is the same verb that's used throughout the Bible to talk about how a mother hen hovers over her chick's eggs. There's care. There's nurturing. And when we open up the chaos of our life to that God, we experience care. Friends, you are not a problem to be solved. You are a person to be loved. That's how God sees you. Compass Church, you are not a problem to be solved. You are people to be loved. This God is unlike any other God the world had seen. In the creation story, Tiamat rises up and she kills another God. She becomes more powerful than that God. And what happens with the, the, just the chaos that Tiamat created? People come out of that chaos. And what do the people do? They serve the gods as slaves. What does Yahweh do? Steps into the chaos, but he doesn't fight. There's no battle here. He's, he breathes. He loves. And then he speaks. My concern for us is that we miss knowing a God like this because we're stuck in medieval ways of thinking. We're not expecting that, I bet. Peter Abelard, he was a theologian who the church later denounced his theology. What does he have to do with my life? Up until Peter Abelard, everybody thought doing theology meant two types of thinking. Theology was thinking with your gut and thinking with your mind. Like, what? Yeah, let me give you an, let me give you an illustration of what it looks like to think with your gut. All right? When I was about 11 years old, somebody broke into my house when I was home. Okay? I was playing uh, NCAA Final Four 1997. All right? On the computer. And I'm playing this computer game, and I just hear this breathing. Mike? 
my older brother. I just freeze. I grab the phone, and I dial 603-269-8870. And I just wait. I didn't dial the area code. It was the 90s. I wait. Mike picks up the phone. It was my dad's work. What's up? Are you home? Mm-mm. Mike, I think someone's in the house. Oh, I have a bat under my bed. Just go get that. Click. Okay. Now, I was thinking in that moment, all right? But I was not thinking like this. Okay. Let's get a piece of paper out. Let's analyze the situation. First step, we heard breathing. Okay. Second step, we call for Mike. Third step, we called Mike. Wasn't Mike. Okay. Fourth step, we called Mike's name again. Mike! We hear crashing. Boom, boom, boom. Definitely not Mike. Next step, heart rate is elevated. From this information, I conclude I am scared. <laughs> no. Didn't need to do that. My body knew before my brain knew, this is not good. This is bad. This is scary. I didn't know all those steps that my body went through, but I knew it. All right? Peter Abelard comes along and says, yeah, everyone has known God in this intuitive, gut-level, experiential, contemplative way up until now. What if we just, like, cut that out and we just talk about, like, how, what if we analyze God? Or what if we just look at the facts, right? Like, memento, just the facts, all right? We just want to know about God. And the church condemned his teaching. And since then, we have been surfing in those waves he creates. To now, we're at a place where everybody has drawn lines and picked sides. To where it's at a point where it's like, oh, are you on the more touchy-feely, experiential side? Oh, oh man, are you on the more analytical thinking side? Well, you're not a Christian, and neither are you, right? And so now, a lot of us are left in the middle, like in a nasty divorce, like, uh, which am I? What it means to be a whole person is to integrate both how we think into it and our gut feel about God with our experience and how we think, analyze, navigate, understand mentally about God. Meditation is an attempt to do both that. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Bible is ancient Near Eastern meditation literature. It's not just read it, give me the facts, tell me the background, tell me about Tiamat, tell me about this whole poetry thing. Great, I know it. The ancients would say we don't know it until we've had this experience of God, knowing relationally. There's a relational way of knowing God, right? Look, are there problems on picking one side? Yes. On this side, how many people have ever met somebody who's like, well, God told me so, and you can't argue. Whoa! Right? So like, well, I don't know what to do with that, right? How many cults have started? Well, look, look, God told me. You're to give me all your money, and I can marry whoever I want. Right? You're like, I don't think he's... Okay. That's dangerous. Right? Likewise, though, it's also dangerous when we turn the Bible into a book club. Well, what did you read in this text? Well, I read this. Well, that's super fascinating. What commentaries are you using? Well, I read this commentary. My, my, my. Well, have you read this commentary? No, fascinating. Well, that was a great Bible study. See you next week. 
That's just a glorified book club. All right? And both, both of those are ditches on the road we're trying to drive on. We're not trying to say, hey, let's just go crazy. And just, what do you feel? Great, let's affirm all that. We're also not trying to say, shut your feelings down. We're trying to be integrated people. We want to know God in our gut. Why? Because we, we know grandma's in our gut. Right? You've got Jesus in your heart, but grandma in your gut. What? We learn to navigate the world from watching the adults around us navigate it. And it, the way that you learn that this is really deeply embodied in you is if you ever get married. Like my wife and I, when we got married, I'm like, why doesn't she do these things? And she was like, why doesn't he do these things? And it's because we watched our parents and we didn't even know. We just interpreted, hey, this is how adults act. This, you're supposed to do this. I'm like, we're supposed to do this. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a, just a different way of knowing. I'm just totally un, unaware. It's a filter through which I see the world. We want to integrate. How do we do that? Meditation. All right? I'm a huge fan of Adam West Batman. So we're going to let Scripture whack us. All right? This is a tool we introduced last week for how we meditate on Scripture. Whack. All right? What is whack? Worship. How does this passage show me God's wonder? It's the W. Except, what does this passage invite me to receive? So let's just worship, right? We're thinking about Genesis 1. What does it say about God? Man, he's different. He loves my chaos. He wants to create beauty out of my chaos. He doesn't want me to run and hide from me. He's saying, hey, I love creating beauty out of chaos. You have chaos. God, that's amazing. I wouldn't make a God like that in my image. I'd make a God who wants to be all cleaned up. Except, what does this passage invite me to say? God, I need to receive care. I need to receive that I may have these images of you that are from how I navigated life without you, that aren't actually from your word. So I receive that, man, maybe my image of God isn't how the God of Scripture is. And then challenge. How can I grow more aware of this truth today? God, help me not to just leave this here. Help me to take this into my week. Help me to be someone who grows in awareness that this is how you operate. This is what you're doing. You're making beauty out of chaos. Help me not to be afraid of chaos. I'm afraid of chaos. You don't seem to be afraid of chaos. Help me to be more aware of that when I encounter chaos. Whack. All right? Now, how do we use that to meditate? All right? There's, you're, all right? That, because you can do that and not really meditate. All right? Whack is a, a means of starting the meditation. It still can be loving God with your brain, all right? Whack says, what does this text say? It's like asking questions of the text, all right? What does the text say, right? So we, we, we want to give prompts. So instead of writing the whole verse out, we just want to write spirit chaos on a card. Throughout the week, just look at, oh, why did I write spirit chaos? And it, it will prompt our memories to be thinking and meditating. Oh, yeah, because God's spirit is what chases away chaos. Yeah, God's an artist, and one of his tools he uses is his spirit. Another one's his word. Okay, I get this. Yeah, and he's chasing away my chaos. This is beautiful. Okay, chaos. And we use that to meditate. Step one, though, is asking what, it's asking questions of the text. But we're not really meditating if we stop there. We have to ask questions of the text, but it really becomes meditating when we let the text ask questions about us. When we read it and say, God, what are you doing? Who are you? It's good. Then we move into, all right, what do you want to say to me? 
What do you have for me? How do I grow more aware of this? Where is there chaos in my life? God, your word is a, is a lamp. It's a light. Show me. Illuminate. You spoke light into existence. I'm, I'm sitting with your word. I just receive. I have open hands. What do you want to say to me? All right? We first ask, what is the text? Well, questions of the text. We first ask questions of the text. And then we let the text ask questions of us. Now, like, how in the world do I do this? You sit in a chair. You grab your phone. And you start a 30-second timer. And you just look at the words spirit and chaos for 30 seconds and you run some of those questions through your head. 30 seconds? That does not feel like that's going to really do much in my life. I mean, 30 seconds, really? Look, the average attention span is eight seconds. Six, seven, Eight. Welcome back. <laughs> we have to train, we have to discipline ourselves through rhythms to be people who meditate. It's hard, right? That chaos doesn't stop because you sat in your comfy chair with a cup of coffee. Right? That chaos is relentless. We have to train ourselves. It's like 30 seconds. Can God do anything with 30 seconds? How long do you think this took? Let there be light. Let's not question what he can do with 30 seconds. And let's celebrate it when we do it. Hey, I'm somebody who meditates on God's word. That's super cool. Woo. All right? Let's not, don't underestimate what time in his presence can do. We need to use both ways of thinking, all right? I, please do not hear me say, let's abandon thinking deeply about the Bible. No, 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 no. But also, we can't abandon that other way of thinking with our gut, knowing God, loving God. I mean, imagine if you did that to your girlfriend or boyfriend, all right? Hey, I got a list all about you, and so I just study that list, and that's like our relationship's great, right? Because I got the list. No. No, you want to know that person. Best way to do it, time. 30 seconds. We're going to be gracious with ourselves. And what we're going to find when we do that is God loves creating beauty out of our chaos. He doesn't see us as problems to be solved. He sees us as people to be loved. And sometimes what you're going to find, what you're going to find when you do this, is you're going to find, like, I can't imagine how God could really create beauty out of my chaos. All right, how can God make something, make an artwork out of trash? This is my real trash can in my real office, at my real job, okay? This is trash, all right? I don't know how anyone could make anything beautiful out of this, okay? This is a trick I learned from back in the day working at Dunkin' Donuts, is if you want to eat something, just take a bite out of it and throw it in the trash, right? You get the flavor, but none of the calories, right? So this is a half-eaten cookie, this is a banana peel, right? And someone in the first service said, well, why don't you just compost? That's still trash, all right? It's just trash in your backyard that your neighbors think you're cooler than them. All right? This is trash. It's very easy to look at trash and be like, yep, that's the end of the, that's the, end of the line for this trash. Yep, there's chaos in my life. That's the end of the line for my life. 
I know the preacher said God likes creating out of chaos, but he don't know me. There's a lot of chaos in my life. If somebody could make beauty out of trash, it might resonate with us because that's what God does with our chaos. So these are real artists, and this is real trash, okay? These are two artists in London who, if you look at that picture, if you just look at the piles of trash, you see piles of trash. But when you shine a light on the trash, the shadows look like people. I have no idea who these people are or how they navigate through the world, right? I would never think, man, you know what would be super cool? Let's make a pile of trash, and it's going to look like trash, and we shine a light on it. It's going to be people, right? Amazing. Beautiful. That trash, that wasn't the end of the line for that trash. This is a gorilla. Gorilla. And it looks blurry, but it's not blurry. This is like a high-resolution photo. This gorilla is made through coat hangers. The hooks on the coat hanger create the illusion that this is blurry. Now, if people navigating their own chaos can make beauty out of chaos, how much more can the God who hovers over the chaos create beauty out of your chaos? How much more? What's it going to take for you to trust him? I don't know. I think it was Habitat for Humanity. Somebody said something like, it's easier, and we're going we're to work on this. this is, all right, hang on. Trigger warning, all right? It's easier to act our way into new ways of thinking than it is to think your way into new ways of acting. What? All right. It's easier to act our way into new ways of thinking than it is to think our ways into new ways of acting. Now, what's that saying? We learn things by doing. We have experiences, and those experiences are deeply formative. I am not saying fake it till you make it. You have a hard time loving God? Just pretend you love God, and then maybe one day you'll think you love God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying by adding rhythms to our lives, even when we don't feel like it, we can, we can put ourselves in a spot where we experience something that would be really hard if we just thought about it. That's that, those two ways of knowing, right? Everybody knows it's really cold when you fall through the ice in a lake in Minnesota. But only people who have fallen through the ice in a lake in Minnesota know that it's cold. When you meditate on Scripture, you will meet the living God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. When you obligate God, God, here's my chaos. Here it is. What are you going to do with that chaos? He will show up. Challenge him. The Genesis 1 chapter is unlike anything in antiquity. Right? God creates beauty out of chaos. Remember that whole idea of tohu avohu, formless and empty? Even the way God rearranges that is beautiful. All right? This was easier to see on my computer. But tohu avohu, formless, 
Vohu, void, all right? Empty, it had no shape, and it was empty. In the ancient Near East, when you built a temple, first three days of temple construction, you built the rooms. The next three days, you filled the rooms. So God looks at something, and, and his creation says it's, it's chaos. And in days one through three, he builds the structures. And in days four through six, he fills those structures. And it's all working towards something. Day seven. That's that six plus one. The six are super important, but the one, that's crazy important. All right, before this, everybody thought that the world was cyclical, right? It was winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, then you die. But the Genesis story says, no, 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 no. We're actually moving towards something. The chaos is moving toward the rest of God. Rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Creation is moving towards rest. That's next week. But we got to land the plane. So what does God have against the Perchy Creek Yacht Society? Remember back to Revelation? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sounds a lot like Genesis, right? Primary colors. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Your life is heading to a day where you will get your questions answered. Where you will see, God, what were you doing in my divorce? God, what did you do with my cancer? God, what did you do with my kids when they turned their back on me? That was chaos, God. What were you doing? There is coming a day when we are moving toward full and ultimate rest. And the sea will be no more. He will put chaos to rest. And just the masterpiece will be. But that's next week. We're going to talk about how we experience that rest now. You can do it. You can invite him into your chaos. Because when the God of the Bible looks at you, he doesn't see a problem to be fixed. He sees people to be loved. Father, pray we believe that. God, I pray that we would be people who want to know you on a gut level, want to know you with our minds. God, you're unlike anything we've ever experienced, anyone we've ever experienced. So God, I pray for those of us who are hesitant, who it's scary. God, I pray that you would meet us where we are and that we would, through meeting you, experience our chaos being turned into healing. God, I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.